At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. All right, if you would, please take out the Word of God and turn in it in the New Testament to the book of Ephesians and chapter number two in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number two. As we begin today, I want to actually open up with a fable. And you go, all right, there. We knew it was going to happen. Wildwood Community Church is turning to fables. No, no, we're not talking about that kind of a fable. We're talking about a different kind of a fable And that is a make-believe story, but it's a make-believe story that has a point to it. It has life lessons in it. And so the fable I want to begin reading for you today is a fable that was actually composed by Chuck Swindoll. So here's the way it goes. He says, once upon a time, the animals decided that they should do something meaningful to help meet the problems of their world. So they organized a school and adopted an activity curriculum of running, climbing, swimming, and flying. And to make it more effective, they decided that all of the animals would take all of the subjects. So here's what he goes on to say. He says, the duck was excellent at swimming, in fact, better than his instructor. But he made average grades in flying and was very poor at running. Since he was slow in running, he had to drop swimming and stay after school to practice running. This caused the duck's web feet to become so sore that eventually he became only average in swimming. But average was quite acceptable, so nobody worried about that, except the duck. The rabbit started at the top of his class in running, but soon developed cramps in his leg muscles because of so much makeup work in swimming. The rabbit dropped flying class after several nasty falls from a large pine tree, Before long, he couldn't run as fast as he had before he started school, but that was all right with everyone except the rabbit. He said, as you would guess, the squirrel was excellent in climbing. However, he got so beaten up from jumping out of trees while trying to learn how to fly that he didn't have the energy or the strength to climb like he did before. Because of that difficulty, he only got a B in climbing and a C in running. Those were passing grades, but he remembered the good old days when he was the best climber. The eagle was a problem student from the very beginning and was severely disciplined for being a nonconformist. In climbing class, the eagle beat all the others to the top of the tree but insisted on doing it his own way to get there. The running coach accused the eagle of not even trying. After swimming practice, his feathers were so wet he couldn't fly for hours So the duck got better grades for flying than the eagle did. Eagles are beautiful creatures in the air, but not in a foot race. The rabbit would win every time, unless, of course, the eagle got hungry. He concludes this way. He says, what is true of the creatures in the forest is true of Christians in the family of believers. God has not made us all the same. He never intended to. It was he who planned and designed our differences, gifts, and unique abilities. We are, men and women, divinely designed to serve. 
And our base verse that we have looked at multiple times comes from Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, where Paul writes and he says, we are his workmanship, we're his handiwork, we are his masterpiece, we are his special composition created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Now, I want you to notice there's, you know, it's funny with verses, the more you examine them, the more you see in them. We've looked at this verse a number of times, but in particular, I want you to notice that last phrase, so that we would walk in them. That's the way the New American Standard translates it. The ESV says, so that we should walk in them. Now, I'm gonna give you a little bit of language background. This verb right here, is in what is called the subjunctive mood. Now, we don't really have a technical subjunctive mood in English, but if you've ever studied other languages, you'll be very familiar with the subjunctive mood. What the subjunctive mood means regarding the verb is that we might do that, that we should do that. It's almost like God would hope that we would walk in these works that he prepared beforehand as his workmanship. It's not guaranteed that we're going to do that. It means that we need to be active. We need to choose, be choosing to serve. We need to be choosing that weekly. We may be choosing that daily. And when we fail to walk in them, to live those things out, really what happens is we miss God's blessings because we're his workmanship, his special design, created for good works, which he prepared beforehand, before we were even born, so that we would walk in them, that we would experience the blessings of seeing God work in and through us. And so we've been talking about the fact that God has divinely designed us to serve. So the question we've been asking multiple times is how did he shape you to serve? How did he shape me to serve. And so we've taken advantage of an acrostic with the word shape, and each letter of the English word shape, S-H-A-P-E, stands for something. And so far, we've looked at two parts of that. One of the ways that he shapes us is through the spiritual gifts he gives to us. And if you were not here for those two messages, we went into some depth on that, I would strongly encourage you to go to our webpage or go to our YouTube page and, and listen to those messages. Last time we talked about part of his shaping us, his designing us, is our heart passion. And we defined heart passion. And what that means is something we care deeply about, something we feel a deep burden for, something we have a strong enthusiasm for, something that just motivates us, something that touches us. And we went to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, where it says there that God is at work in you to do two things both to will, that is to have a desire, and to do his good pleasure. And part of his good pleasure was how he designed us to serve. He's energizing us in two ways, to have a passion for something and also to equip us to work that out, to do his good pleasure. So today what we're doing is we're adding the letter A, not only spiritual gifts, not only heart passion, but also abilities, abilities. Now, here's what I want us to understand, abilities. Abilities are different from spiritual gifts. They're not the same thing. 
They are different and they are broader than the spiritual gifts that he has given to us. And every one of us has, I think, more than one spiritual gift, but abilities are different than that. And we're going to look at two things today. One is we're going to see that God is the source of our abilities. And secondly, we're going to see that our abilities are two-sided. He is the source of our abilities, and our abilities are two-sided. So that's what we're going to look at. So first of all, God is the source of our abilities. And we read at the beginning of our service today from Psalm 139. I want to remind you of it. It says there, David speaking to the Lord, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship, remember we are his workmanship, your workmanship is marvelous as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. Now, one of the things that's important to notice about this verse is that the word you is very emphatic in the original verse. You, God, are the one who knit me together in my mother's womb. You made me wonderfully complex. You developed your workmanship in me, and it's marvelous as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You did that, God. You did that for me. Now, part of what he did in the womb incorporates the idea of our abilities. And so we're seeing that God is the source of our abilities. And that actually goes back to how he was forming us even in our mother's womb. You see this idea of abilities very clearly in Scripture. In Exodus chapter 36, verses 1 and 2, what's happening is they're trying to develop the tabernacle. They're trying to build a team of people with ability in the tabernacle. And what it says there is they're building that team. It says, Bezalel and Aholiab, and every skillful, skillful person was being recruited for the team. But here's what I want you to notice this phrase. In whom the Lord has put skill. In whom the Lord has put ability. And understanding to know how to perform all the work and the construction of the sanctuary. And then it goes on to say, repeating it again, Moses called Bezalel and Oholiab and every skillful person in whom the Lord has put skill. See, that's the abilities that he has given to us. God is the source of our abilities and it can track back to the womb. Now, the second thing we want to see, though, is that our abilities are two-sided. What do I mean by that? Well, they are, first of all, we have natural abilities, abilities we're born with, and then we have acquired abilities. We have both of those kinds of abilities. So we're going to look first at natural ability. What we mean by that is something literally you are born with. You either have the ability or you don't have the ability. Now, when I was growing up in the latter part of my public school years, um, my first love was playing basketball. And I want you to know that even though my dad was six foot, I was totally convinced I was going to be bigger than that. I knew in my heart I was going to be six five, six six. I knew that I could become like 
Walt Frazier, for example, of the New York Knicks at the time, you might have to YouTube that to see who Walt Frazier was. Or, or like Julius Irving. <laughs> you know, you can look up Julius Irving for those of you who are younger have never seen him play basketball. That's, that's what I knew I was going to become. You know, no doubt I would be like a Michael Jordan. And here's what's interesting. No one in my high school in New Jersey practiced basketball more than I did. I practiced more than anybody else. However, when I was cut from the basketball team in my high school, I realized I don't really have the ability to do what I thought I would be able to do. And I wasn't born with a natural ability to fly like Michael Jordan or Julius Irving. Natural ability is something we're born with. You either have it or you don't have it. Many of you know Mozart, you know his full name, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. You know that Mozart at the age of four could play the harpsichord proficiently at the age of four. He learned how to play multiple instruments. Mozart was composing music at the age of five. You know, when most are just going to school to learn their ABCs. At the age of six, Mozart was performing publicly throughout Europe. Mozart had abilities, well, let's go back to me, that I don't have. You know, I still can't play an instrument. I I tried starting a couple of different things. It just didn't work, didn't click with me. I can't sing well. I can't. Some of you know that. Composing a song? You know, that's a pipe dream for me in heaven. I didn't have those natural abilities. And so a natural ability is something you either have it or you don't have it. But also, we want to talk about acquired abilities or cultivated skills that we can develop. Again, I'm just using myself as an illustration. I was not born with a natural ability to be an effective person at painting a house. But I cultivated that skill, I acquired that skill when I was in seminary. Now, I thought I knew how to paint. So, you know, you open the can, you put in the brush. I thought I knew, but I didn't really know until I went to work for a professional paint crew in the city of Dallas. We went around and went and painted shopping malls and painted in department stores. And I learned a lot of technique from them. I learned how to properly load a brush. I learned how to properly clean and care for your brush. And many of you have been here for a while. No, I've said this before. The brushes that I used 44 years ago, I still have because I, I learned, I acquired that skill when it came to painting. So there are many abilities that I have. There are many abilities that you have and some of which you were born with and some of them are abilities that you cultivated, skills that you cultivated, but we all have multiple ones. You've got multiple abilities. So the question is this, for you to ponder, what natural abilities has God given me? He's given you some. 
what acquired abilities do you have? You know, see, we see abilities talked about a lot in Scripture. For example, in 1 Chronicles 15 and verse 22, they're beginning to build up the Levites who are going to lead the nation in worship. And it says in chapter 15, verse 22, that Chenaniah was put in charge of singing. And you say, well, why was Chenaniah put in charge of singing? And it goes on to say this, because he was skillful in singing. You know, if you're going to have someone in charge of singing, you want someone who's skillful in singing. First Chronicles 22.15 talks about individuals who were skillful, who had abilities as masons, and people who had abilities as carpenters, and people who had abilities as stone cutters. Now, why do I mention all of that? I mention all of that because the enemy of our souls is always out to discourage us. And so when you have that inner thought, I have no ability, you must recognize that as a lie from the enemy. A lie from the enemy. No, it's not true that you have no ability. God gave you all of us, natural abilities, and God has allowed all of us to develop acquired abilities. Maybe those abilities were acquired uh, by the family or the home you grew up in. Maybe you acquired some abilities from friends that you knew. That's also true of me in some other areas where I picked up some acquired skill from some of my friends. Maybe you got an acquired ability from a job that you worked. And here's the idea. They just come in multiple flavors. We could talk all day about the flavors of abilities. Some people have abilities in the area of art. Some have abilities in the area of advertising. Some people have the abilities in the area of audiovisual. Some people have abilities in the area of construction. Some have abilities in the area of communication or coordinating. Some people have abilities in the area of editing or decorating or designing or planning. Some people have abilities in the area of landscaping or learning a language. Great ability to have the ability to learn a language. Some people have ability in the area of legal skills. Some people have abilities even in the area of organizational lighting. I read about a, a large church in Detroit, and their whole lighting ministry is run by a 14-year-old boy. All kinds of abilities out there. You have abilities in the area of music. Some people have the abilities to sing. Some people have abilities to play an instrument. Maybe you have abilities in the area of marketing, or maybe you have abilities in the medical arena. Maybe you have abilities in being a nurse. And just an example of how that can apply. We often need nurses for camps that we run. We need someone who can collect the medicine that needs to be disseminated and, and be there in case there's a, a minor problem that occurs. We have abilities in the area of photography. You can have abilities in the area of something mechanical or even have abilities to be able to repair things even though you've never repaired them before. Some people have abilities in the area of sign language. Some people have abilities in the area of writing. Some people have abilities in the area of video production. All kinds of abilities. So ask yourself, what do you enjoy doing? Ask yourself, what are you good at? You're good at something. And here's what I believe. I believe that we all have the ability to be a 10 in some way when it comes to serving God and other people. On a 1 to 10 scale, we all have the ability to be a 10. God gave you abilities and God has allowed you to develop 
abilities. It's part of his plan to shape you, to serve him and others. So let's move on, continue to build the acrostic. We've talked about spiritual gifts. We've talked about heart passion. Today, we've talked about abilities. I want to talk about the letter P in the acrostic, and that would be our personality, our personality. And again, we go back to the idea of Psalm 139. In our mother's womb, God was knitting us together and God was embroidering us. When I talk about personality, what, what am I talking about? Well, personality is the composite of the characteristics that make us up as an individual. A composite of the characteristics that make us up as an individual. Now, I've shared this before, but when I was, you know, growing up in high school and then into college and I knew that I wanted to get married and I wanted to have kids, I developed a little philosophy about how kids become who they are. It's the old nature versus nurture idea. Nature is they were born that way. Nurture is, well, they they were influenced by their environment when they were born. And I, I had this running theory. Here's what I strongly believed. I believe it was 25% nature, how they were born, and 75% nurture. What went on in their home and their environment? And then I had children. I had one, I had two, I had three, and I had four. And I began observing in other families, and I flipped the percentages completely around. I said, you know what? I believe now it's 75% nature, 25% nurture. Both of them are important. I mean, that's the way it was with my kids. I mean, I couldn't believe it as I watched this happen. You know, they came out, and some of them were born night owls. They just wanted to stay up later and push the limits. And then we had some that were born that were just an incredible morning dove. My son Kyle was that way. He was a morning dove. And a lot of times we'd be doing things as a family and someone would look around and go, where's where's Kyle? He'd already gone off to bed like two hours early. He was born that way. He didn't learn that in our family environment. And I I noticed as as they were born, they had preferences for colors. They had preferences for foods. They had preferences towards different interests. I mean, think about it. They're all born in the same home. (laughs) They're very, very different. doesn't mean that the home didn't have an effect. But as God was embroidering them in the womb, they just came out different. We have four kids. None of them are the same because that's part of the way God embroidered them in terms of their personality. Now, what's interesting about personalities is we, we have a tendency to, to really like someone who has a similar personality to, to ours, right? That's what we tend to do. But I think it's important to recognize that there is an advantage in complementary personalities. For example, you have Mary and Martha in the New Testament. Mary, her focus was more on people. Martha was more focused on task. Mary was more about, you know, being, and Martha was more about doing, and you could just get angry at one another, 
or realize, wait a minute, we have complementary personalities and God can use that to make us more effective as a team. Another example would be Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas. What's Paul like? Oh man, was he bold? Was he decisive? He moved quickly on things. Barnabas, very patient, very supportive. Now those two personalities could get frustrated with one another. In one sense, that's part of what happens with Paul and Barnabas. And so they decide to go form two teams instead of just having one team, Paul and Barnabas. But you see, there's a value in that blend of complementary personalities. There's a value in teaming up in ministry and serving with people who have a complementary personality. And here's what usually happens, you see, with personalities is too often, you know, we look at somebody else and we say, in our head, it's too bad you're not like I am because if you were really good, you'd be like me, all right? It's too bad you can't have, you know, my personality bent because you somehow, I don't know, you came out flawed. No, 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 no. God made us different in terms of our personalities and there's this complementary advantage to that. Now, I want to talk for a few moments about four personality contrasts. Now, I'm going to read from a handout that I have here, and I want you to know that this handout is available at wildwoodchurch.org serve. So if you want to actually do that, and I'm going to encourage you to download this and actually work your way through it. It's just a way to realize some differences in personality, and it can have an impact in in your ministry and your serving, but it also could have an impact in, in a vocation that you choose or a role in an organization that you choose or how you divide duties up in your marriage or with your roommates or inside of your family. So I want to I work my way through this. Now, we have several different divisions here, personality contrasts. The first one is the contrast between someone who is outgoing and someone who is reserved in their personality. Someone who is outgoing in their personality might just love to meet and greet strangers. They prefer to be around people. They like to work with the team. They're oriented a lot of times to what is all around them. They get energy from being around people. Someone who, on the other contrast, may be more reserved in their personality might be someone who just loves to read, write, analyze, work on computers. They prefer time alone. They like to maybe work one-on-one more. They're oriented more to what's going on inside of them. They get energy often from being alone. See, it's just a personality contrast. So which side would we be on? Another personality contrast is between people and projects. Someone who's more on the the people side, they just love to be right in the middle of a scene. They love to coordinate people. Their primary focus is on the relational interaction of a task. When doing the task, their focus is on relationships Their goal is usually maintaining a team. Someone who's more project-oriented in their personality is more a behind-the-scenes person who likes to complete jobs. Their focus is more on task accomplishment uh, when they're doing the task. It doesn't mean they don't care about everybody else, but their focus is more on the goal, and their goal is meeting the deadline rather than maybe maintaining a, a team. And then another contrast is between a personality that's more expressive and one that's more controlled. Someone who's more expressive is more quick to speak, more open and emotional. Someone who's more controlled will reflect more before they speak. They might restrain their reactions a little more. And then there's also a contrast that can exist when it comes to work and task 
environment. Someone on one side of the equation in their personality, they might like it to be, when it comes to their task environment, more chaotic. They like to juggle multiple balls. They enjoy risks. They relish obstacles. They enjoy pioneering and promoting. Someone who's on the other end of work task environment might like things that are more calm when it comes to a work environment. They like to do one thing at a time. They like it to be low risk. They prefer predictability, and they enjoy managing and thinking. So, what I want you to do is I want you to download this, and as you see this, you'll see that on each line all the way across are two contrasts. And what you do is in each line, you circle the item that's most descriptive of you. So sometimes you'll be on the left side, sometimes you'll be on the right side. But you'll go through this. For example, the first line says, do you love to meet and greet strangers or do you more love to read, analyze, work on computers? Do you like to work with a team or do you like to work one-on-one? So you circle the one in that line that's more like you. Uh, Or for example, uh, under work task environment, do you like to juggle multiple balls or do one thing at a time? You circle the thing that's more true of you and your personality. Do you relish obstacles or do you prefer predictability? So you work your way through that, each line circling the one that is more true of you. It doesn't mean you're going to be all parked on one side, but you're going to give an idea, a little bit of clarity on how your personality is wired. Work your way through that. So, how did God shape you to serve? How did God shape me to serve? Well, we're looking at spiritual gifts, a special ability that he's given to us, our heart passion, our abilities, and then we also have our personality. You'll notice we haven't got to letter E yet. Now, letter E is the most overlooked element when it comes to how God would shape us to serve him. You don't want to miss letter E, but you have to come back next week for us to get to letter E, all right? The most overlooked one of all. But let's look at some life response. And what we want to do by way of life response as we wrap this up, we want to look at two key questions and two key assignments that I think we should have coming out of our time together. So key question number one is this. Are you currently serving the Lord and others? Now, I want you to know, I I really want you to ask that question of yourself with an open heart before the Lord. I'm not the spiritual police. I'm not interested in trying to figure out who answers that question yes and who answers that question no. I want you to be asking that question, are you currently, I don't mean 10 years ago, I don't mean two years ago, are you currently serving the Lord and other people? Charles Haddon Spurgeon had a great way with words, and sometimes I think guys like him could say things that maybe the rest of us couldn't get away with. And here's here's what Spurgeon said. He says this. He said, we want laborers, not loiterers. We need men and women on fire. I beseech you to ask God to send them. The harvest can never be reaped by those who will not labor. Are you currently serving the Lord and others? Really what he's saying and what I'm saying is don't miss the blessing. 
is a blessing in seeing God use you to serve him and to serve others. Key question number two. Key question number two is how can I serve and invest in others? This is a repeating question we're doing every week. We're asking you to be asking that question every week. How can I, not somebody else I'm thinking of in the church, but how can I serve and invest in others? And remember, we learn by doing. We learn by getting active. Sometimes part of the problem is we are loitering. We're not doing anything. And then we wonder, well, what does God want me to do? Well, one of the ways you you learn is by getting active in some way. And I want to encourage you to grab one of these yellow cards that are in the seat back in front of you. If you did one before, you don't have to do it again. But it's just a way to begin to say, you know what, I, I would be interested in serving in some areas. And we've got eight different arenas here. I want to learn more about serving with, and you can circle all the ones that apply, and then you could put one in the buckets as you leave to go out the exit doors today. So if you haven't filled one of these out, I'd encourage you to do that. It's just a way to say, you know what, I'm going to try some things. I want to get active. Also would encourage you to go out in the gathering hall there, and you'll notice we have our children's ministry wall out there with all kinds of opportunities to get involved. You're not signing up for a decade of work. You're saying, I want to, for a short period of time, at least try some things out here. And we have great, we have a tremendous children's ministry. Maybe that's the way you get your feet wet in serving him. So you can stop by and look at that ministry wall. Key assignment number one. Key assignment number one is to ponder and discuss your abilities and personality contrasts. Spend a little time thinking about what are the natural abilities God given, has given me? What are the acquired abilities that he's allowed me to have? What, is, what are some of my personality contrasts? And just ponder that some and pray about that and even discuss it a little bit uh, with your family or your spouse or your roommates. You know, and how does this give you insight into how God has designed you to serve him and others? And then we have key assignment number two. And I mentioned this last time, but this is important, men and women, and that is to give others affirmation. To give others affirmation. You know, at least three times in the New Testament, we are commanded to encourage one another. And we need to do that more with one another because sometimes people can't really see themselves how God has divinely designed them. They don't really fully understand their shape. And so it's great to affirm one another. You know, when you see somebody who is effective in serving, you say to them, you're really good at that. Keep doing that. God has gifted you and designed you to do that. Or even to say to somebody, you know, you know of an opportunity over here and you go, you know, you'd fit really well. Bruce, you ought to consider looking into that because I think you'd do really well there. See, we need that from one another. It's part of the command of what we're to do. That's why we're a church family, you see. So please give others affirmation. Give others affirmation. Tell them what they're good at. Tell them what they would fit well and be effective at doing. Make sense? Sound like a good plan? All right, as we close, I want to go back I want to go back to our fable, back to the fable. Here's the way he concludes it. Swindoll says, a duck is a duck 
It is built to swim and to fly from one lake to another. They don't run very well, and they can't climb at all. If God made you a duck, don't compare yourself to an eagle. Just swim like mad and don't get bent out of shape because you wobble when you run. He says, enjoy your uniqueness. Rabbits have the ability to change speed and direction better than most other animals, and that's a very desirable ability when you have a non-aggressive personality and want to stay alive in a hostile world. A squirrel is a squirrel. It is almost unchallenged in climbing because it was made for climbing. To expect a squirrel to swim or fly will drive a squirrel nuts. If you're an eagle saint, stop expecting the squirrel saints to soar or rabbit saints to build the same nest you do. The moral of the story is simple. Relax and enjoy your spiritual species. Cultivate, listen to this, cultivate your capabilities, your own style. Appreciate the members of your family or your fellowship for who they are, even though their outlook or style may be miles different from yours. Stop comparing. And I might add, start encouraging. God has designed us with our unique gifts and abilities so we can excel in serving him and others. Men and women, we are divinely designed to serve God and others. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the encouragement we find in your word. We thank you for the truth that you have divinely designed us to serve you. You have had a plan that involves shaping us to serve our spiritual gifts, our heart passion, our abilities, our personality. May we be encouraged to see ourselves as it says we are, your workmanship, your handiwork, your actual poem that you have developed in terms of the way you have designed us to serve you. And Father, deliver us from falling into the trap of being a loiterer around the church rather than a laborer both inside and outside the church for your honor, for your glory, for the Savior who did all that he did for us. Make us men and women who are effective for the honor of Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in his name. 